How many of you have experienced an unfortunate event in your life? Or a series of unfortunate events? Yeah, I think all of us have. I think it's one of the things that, that binds us together as humanity is that, that we have gone through adverse circumstances, problems, setbacks, etc., unfortunate events, and we will go through those. And um, uh, there was a time in my life about 10 years ago, this is actually the first time I've shared this publicly, I have uh, shared this uh, privately with friends and some uh, uh, close pastors that I hang out with, um, but this is the first time uh, that, that I've shared this publicly. But 10 years ago, um, me and my wife and my family uh, and a core group planted a church in the Twin Cities. And it was like a dream come true. And very much it was like giving birth to a child. I was the lead pastor, planting pastor. And uh, you, give, you give a name to it. Uh, you shape and form it and put plans together. You help it grow and mature. And it was just like, like I said, a dream come, coming true. And yet, uh, some challenges were, were coming along. Even though God was doing a mighty work. I mean, people were attending. People were receiving Christ in their life. They were sharing their faith with, with friends and family. They were s- serving. We were making a difference in that area among the poor and needy. We had developed partnerships internationally. And yet, uh, I had the beginning of a series of unfortunate events. And I found out that um, there was a group of people that were gossiping and lying and slandering me and Janiel and our family. It involved two staff members and two elders. And I knew I was in for something. And being a young pastor and not knowing exactly uh, what, what to do, I knew though it was going to test my, my preaching. It was going to test my leadership. It was going to test my character in a way that I hadn't experienced before. And it was so bad. Let's give you an example, a slice of it. Um, uh, Janiel and I, we were at a funeral that I was officiating. It was a family that had lost their child at birth. It was just absolutely gripping, sad, poignant funeral. And I still can remember this day, uh, that funeral. And then after the funeral, a couple of those elders totally ignored me and Janiel as we were like one of the last ones to leave. And that's how bad it was. And um, it just really threw me off. And we come to a story, a very similar uh, situation in some ways, in the book of Genesis. It's a story of a dream, of a dream and then also a series of un- unfortunate events. And it's the, the popular story of Joseph. And many people know the, the, the story of, of Joseph. Uh, if the Broadway show, perhaps you've seen it, uh, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, Donnie Osmond, you know, yeah which is a really interesting choice, but that's a different conversation. Um, But uh, if you have a Bible this morning, let's turn to that story, Genesis chapter 37. And if you're new to our church community, we've been in this series in Genesis for 17 weeks. We've been going through from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 1 to where we're at at today. We only have four Sundays left. Uh, We're going to wrap up this series in Genesis, which is absolutely, this has been so enriching for my life. It's, it's, It's helped me grow in my faith. And at conversations with you as well, um, that, that you're surprised we made it this, this long in Genesis, and it's still somewhat interesting. But uh, uh, we're going to wrap it up on Palm Sunday. So we're going to wrap up Genesis, and then we're going to make the segue to uh, the triumphal entry, which is going to be an interesting segue, transition for me, so you can be praying for me 
for that Sunday to make that transition. But um, I'm so excited about uh, this story and this text this morning. Maybe, let me pray for us before we jump in. God in heaven, we give you thanks for your word. Your word is much more than just words. They have life. Um, they have transformation. God, let us be a people uh, this morning that receive from you all that you want to give to us. If there's distractions, if there's things in our minds that are kind of floating through that perhaps are going to pull us away from what you might have for us, help us to focus, clear our minds. And God, speak to us individually and also speak to us as a community with this story. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. So Genesis chapter 37, I'm going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and you can pull it up on an app on your phone or if you have a Bible, or, or you can follow along with the, the slides behind me. Genesis chapter 37, starting with uh, verse 1. So Jacob, this is Joseph's dad, settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. Okay, so right there we know um, about Jacob, and we would expect sort of the nomenclature of, of uh, the Bible is when you read something like that, this is the account of Jacob, you would expect the genealogy, a listing of all the sons and their families, okay? When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Notice right away, it, Joseph is mentioned by name, and it's simply the brothers, Right away, we have a problem in this family. There's conflict. Because typically, again, in a genealogy, a family tree, they would be listed by name. All we have is Joseph, who's the second youngest of 12 boys here. Uh, He's the only one mentioned, and then it's like the brothers. Okay? Verse 3, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. And that's how bad it was. And I'm just going to kind of draw a little bit uh, of the story for us to kind of follow along of these main characters. Because in many ways, the this, this story of Joseph and this opening that we have is like a table of contents. It's a table of contents for this chapter. It's also a table of contents for the next uh, 14 chapters, all the way to the end of Genesis 50. These are the main characters all the way to the end. So we have Jacob. And then we have Joseph. And then we have the brothers from different mothers, which actually literally is true. Okay? But it's very much this triangle. It's a triangle of love and hate. We're going to see that in the story. But from here on, all the way through Genesis, and especially in chapter 37, is that we have this this triangle that we have interaction back and forth. Just a few notes here um, about what we see here in the story. First of all, uh, as we look at what's going on, is that uh, Jacob favors Joseph. Okay, parenting one-on-one, not a good idea, okay? Uh, That's not a good thing to do. And then also, on top of that, Jacob makes this special robe. Uh, We think it's a multicolor 
robe, but actually, sorry to burst your bubble and burst the bubble of Donny Osmond, uh, it's not multicolor. I don't know if we have a picture of that. Do you have a picture, David, of that? No? Okay. Anyways, that a picture of, of uh, the Broadway play, and it shows the, the big robe of, of multicolor. In the actual Hebrew, it's, it's just one color. It's a long coat with long sleeves, which back in that day would have uh, denoted royalty. It was a regal coat. It had been very special. The reason why we, we have it's multicolor comes from the Latin translation of the Hebrew word. I'm sure you're dying to know that. But anyways, um, sorry, don't tell your children that because it's probably going to ruin their Sunday school uh, concept of, of, of Joseph. But, uh, but, jo- but Jacob is favoring Joseph, and he makes a special robe for him. And then something else as well, let's just back up for a moment, is that Joseph then reports, he brings a bad report to his dad about the brothers. And the actual language there, bad's a sort of a soft word. It's evil. He brings an evil report to his dad. And he knows his dad is a person whom, uh, that Joseph is favored by. So he knows sharing this report is going to do something. And in many ways, he's telling on them. So we have Jacob making some mistakes here. We have, we have Joseph. And then we have the brothers. The brothers absolutely hate him. And we're going to find out how much they hate and what they do. So we're going to continue on here. Let's go to verse 5. And what I'm going to do now for the rest of the, uh, the story is kind of walk through. So if you have teaching notes, you may, may, want, may want to take notes on the front part of your uh, insert or perhaps in the back. And then I'll get into the fill in the blanks, okay? Verse 5. One night Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles all gathered around and, and bow, bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you'll be our king, do you? You actually think you will reign over us. And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Okay, just sort of a footnote. If you ever have dreams about your siblings bowing down before you, don't tell them. Don't, don't, don't tell them. Don't tell him. But he tells them this. And notice in your, in your Bible, verses 4, 5, and 8, it mentions the brothers hated him. This is a deep-seated hate. If we were to compare this to Jacob and his experience with his brother Esau, where Esau hated Jacob, well, the brothers here, I would say, hate uh, Joseph even more than Esau ever hated uh, uh, Jacob. Okay? So we have this dream that, that Joseph is going to reign, okay? So moving down, let's move down to verse 12. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Anytime there's a city or location mentioned in the Bible, by the way, uh, it has meaning, and we're going to talk about that in a second. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to, to Joseph, your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready, I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, or more literally, uh, here I am. That's what, J- that's what Joseph says. Go and see how your brothers and flocks are getting along. And again, with, with the original language, what Jacob is actually saying in here uh, is shalom. Try to make peace with them. In a very similar way that how Jacob went and made peace with Esau. Then come back and bring re- me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way. Now we need to stop for a moment because there is some important details here. Why does Jacob send Joseph, a 17-year-old, out there on his own. He's vulnerable. And Jacob knows 
that there is discord, there's contempt between the brothers. And maybe he thinks that perhaps it's going to work out just like Jacob and Esau, but to send him out, which, by the way, was a 60-mile route to Shechem. 60 miles out there on his own. Also, he sends them, sends uh, Joseph out, and Shechem is actually a, a chaotic city. It was filled with recent bloodshed. Two of the brothers, uh, a few chapters before, had killed some of the residents there. So why in the world would Jacob send out Joseph in such a setting and environment? Unbelievable. And I think one of, the, one of our takeaways right here is that Jacob fails as a father. Because I define a father as uh, a man who provides an emotional, uh, physical, and spiritual safe place for his children. And Jacob doesn't do that. He does, in fact, he does the opposite. He just puts Joseph out there on his own, and I'm not sure what he expects. Okay, let's move now down to uh, verse 18. When Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance, and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, or a different translation. It's, here comes the Lord of dreams. They said, come on, let's kill him and throw him in, into one of the cisterns. We can tell our father a wild animal had eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But I'm going to summarize the rest of that passage. Reuben, the oldest, steps in. He says, don't, don't lay a hand on him. It's, it's actually a refrain of what the angel says to Abraham when Abraham was about to kill, kill Isaac earlier in Genesis. He says, don't lay a hand on him. And as the oldest brother, he would have to give a report on Joseph to, to dad. So Reuben feels responsibility. He says, don't lay a hand on him. Let's not, let's not kill him. So verse 23, they don't kill him. So when Joseph, Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now a cistern was a hole in the ground um, that people would dig to collect rainwater. So they would have water. And they stick Joseph in one of those holes. And those holes aren't very uh, voluminous. They're very narrow. So he's kind of he's squeezed in this hole. And, and they put him in there, and then get this. Then just as they're about, they were sitting down to eat. So it's like they're sitting down at a picnic table. They have roast beef and provolone sandwiches, you know, and like you do and your brother's stuck in a hole off to the side. It's just a weird setting. I mean, that's, this is just how much they hate him. Anyways, they see a caravan of camels coming because Shechem was located on a route where there was massive slave trading going on between Canaan and Egypt. They were on like the main highway where that would happen. So it had been very easy for them to, to sell Joseph off as a slave. And our text says that exactly. That's what's happened, is that uh, Joseph is sold into slavery. Let's just pause for a moment. And this is unbelievable things that are happening. And I would say all three of them have a hand in this. But Joseph is going through a series of of unfortunate events. And yeah, he shouldn't have, should have said the dreams and, and all that kind of stuff, but um, he is in the midst of a lot of trouble. I mean, he's going to be sold into slavery. What's going to happen with that? Where is he going to go? And that happens in our lives, doesn't it? When you find ourselves in the midst of a series of unfortunate events, and that was the case for me with my church, was when I was aware that several people were really against me and against my leadership. And for the first time, I had to preach knowing people in the audience, specific people, were dead against me. It was so bad 
that one of the elders of that church, when I was preaching, I was preaching on Romans 12, by the way. It talks about uh, blessing your enemies. Great text for me. Uh, but I was, as I was preaching, I, I, I caught uh, the glance of that one elder, and we made eye contact, and then he did this. For several seconds. And I thought, there's a leak in the roof. But it was mid-July, 80 degrees and sunny, so that, that didn't really work. So, but he did that, and he did it two other times in the service. And the message was very clear. So just a thing here. If, don't look at the ceiling any time when I'm preaching, please. You'll wig me out. It'll throw, it'll throw me off, okay? With therapy and medication, I'm okay today. But anyways. Um, but it, 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 got, it had gotten so bad. And we could feel that the tension in the church. In fact, pe- people that were coming who didn't know what was going on knew something was going on. It had gotten that bad. In fact, it got to a point where I, I just said, you know, just talking with Janiel, that I need to step down. This church is in such a state right now. And I had a denominational official involved. He actually thought that one of the elders who used to be a pastor was pining for my job. Um, I had another mentor that was, that was with me during that time that it, it felt like it was time to step down. But there's a side of me I'm a competitive person. And there's a dark side of, of being a competitive person, as some of you know. I wanted to get back. I mean, I'm embarrassed to say that, but I wanted to get back. I wanted to get vengeance. I wanted to clear my name. I wanted to, I wanted to do something to them that is it's just kind of shameful to share. But during that time, Ocean's 13 had come out in the movie theaters. And uh, there's a scene where George Clooney's character... Uh, confronts Al Pacino's character. Al Pacino owns these casinos, and he's robbed a mentor and colleague of George, George Clooney's character and, and has caused him to be ill. But George Clooney confronts Al Pacino, and he says to him, you've got to knock off what you're doing and return the money. And if you don't, we're going to do something to you. And in a way that only Al Pacino can do, he says, well, if you do that, um, I'm going to make a move. And when I move, I move quick. And I slice like a hammer. There's this dark side of me that this sort of inner, inner Pacino of me, I wanted to say that. I'm going to move quick and I'm going to slice like a hammer. But I didn't. <laughs> but we, 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 when we go through that, and you might be in the midst of uh, a series of unfortunate events that there's this part of you that you're being wronged and and. and it's so hard to go through that. Or, or maybe it's just so overwhelming for you. Maybe it's not people gossiping or slandering, but your story is, is that you're just being squeezed. You're being squeezed. And that might be your story right now. That very much like Joseph, is that you find yourself either in the midst of or coming out of unfortunate events. Let's jump ahead now. Verse 31. And the brothers, they have to give a report to dad, so they have to go back and tell him because now Joseph is in a caravan. Who knows where he's going? And he's gone. So the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's, blood in, Joseph's robe in, its, in his, its blood, then sent the beautiful robe to their father with the message, look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, it's my son's robe. 
a wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. Scholars believe actually for years. For years. His family all tried to, to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Now, one of the notes that we need to take here. Uh, is that it was very common that when a person went through a grieving period for the Israelites, your family would come around you. You would not push them off. You would not say, hey, leave me alone. You would actually bring them close to you. And they, they would do what was a, a Hebrew sort of uh, um, service, is that your family would uh, sit uh, Shiva. They would actually sit and be with you and be present for days. And he says, no, I want to be back by myself which only fractures this family even more. So it's very uncommon for that. And Jacob is weeping and grieving. Okay, let's, uh, let's reflect on this story. Like it's important for us uh, to reflect and to ask some questions. Because there's, there's a few questions that come to mind. And the question that we want to ask ourselves is as we look back on unfortunate events, is to ask the question, what would I have done differently? Too often we breeze through circumstances or troubles or setbacks, and we move on to the next thing. But I love what, what Aristotle once said, an unexamined life is not worth living. And so often we become better, not bitter, we become better by looking back at unfortunate events and ask key questions. What would I have done differently? So if we were to ask that perhaps of Jacob, Jacob, what would you have done differently looking back on this unfortunate event? And Jacob, perhaps he would have said, you know what, I shouldn't have favored my son so much. I probably should have made the robe. Um, I, I should have been a better, a better dad. You know, that would have been a very easy and very clear takeaway for, for Jacob. And then maybe for Joseph, as, as if we were to ask the question, what would you have done differently? Um, maybe not telling my dream to uh, my brothers. Maybe not having this pride uh, where they would worship me. Maybe keep that to myself. And obviously for the brothers, um, what, what could, could they have done differently? Well, probably maybe sit down with Joseph and share their anger, share their their feelings instead of uh, uh, vowing to kill him and sell him off to slavery. That's something I think very simple and very clear that the brothers could have done. Sit down and talk with him and share their anger with him and try to, try to solve this. Perhaps Reuben as the oldest could have facilitated that and talked that through instead of allowing that to happen. It's a question that we need to ask. So when I made that difficult decision to step down as lead pastor of that church, um, I was, uh, I was I, I comatose for about five weeks after. You know, I, it's like I could barely move. It was so overwhelming for me. But during that time, I journaled. And I asked this question in my journal, what would I have done differently, looking back on what happened? Um, first, uh, as I noted, and I'm looking at my notes, the same words I wrote down 10 years ago, um, I would have brought others in instead of trying to do things on my own. I had a mentor and a church planting coach that I didn't involve as much, and I should have brought them in for advice before, during, and after all this stuff. 
Also, I moved too fast, moved way too quick. It seemed like I was always in a hurry. I was always moving like Mach 2. And in moving fast, I made some bad, bad decisions in hiring some staff members. Also, in moving too fast, I made some bad decisions on um, uh, structuring a board of elders before our church was really ready for it and before I was really ready to know how to work with them. Next, and I think this came out in different ways that hurt the church, is that I wanted my church to be among the biggest churches in the Twin Cities. And that's not a good goal, to lay that out and say, I want my church to be the biggest church. And I w- what I would have done differently is probably not have that as a goal and to be a lot more patient towards that. Also, um, this is an important one for me, what I would have done differently is that I would have tried better to be myself because I think that caused some distrust in the, the congregation. It seemed like I was leading and preaching uh, as if I was trying to be somebody else. I wasn't comfortable in my own skin and uh, had some insecurities that came out. And I was trying to find my voice, but at the same time, I was trying to be somebody else. And that never works. Because what I was saying, really, to God is, I don't like the way you made me. I'm going to try to be somebody else. That's something that I would have done differently. Also, I would have... Uh, done differently is I wouldn't have advocated, advocated uh, the mission and vision of the church. I allowed uh, some folks really to sort of, in a, I don't want to say hijack, but in a way kind of take over the mission and vision of the church when I was in the midst of these events. Those are some of the things that I would have done differently. And then another thing I would have done differently was as soon as I heard that about this gossip and slander and lies, I should have sat down with them with a denominational official and some other leaders to really try to uh, talk this out. I didn't. I tried to solve it on my own. Question number, number two. You have this in your teaching notes. If we were to jump in a DeLorean and hit 88 miles per hour and go back to that scene where jo- Joseph is sold into slavery and ask the question of this, of these three uh, characters, what do you do now? After this series of unfortunate events, uh, Jacob, what do you do now? Joseph, what do you do now? Brothers, what do you do now? Because when we say, what could I have done differently, it's looking back. But when you're coming out of, or you're in, this, in the midst of uh, unfortunate events, you have to ask the question, what do I do now in light of everything? It's a very important question. And that's a question, instead of looking out the window and simply blaming people is actually you hold up a mirror and say, okay, what can I do now? What do I do now? And maybe for Jacob was to bring his family close together, like I said before, and unite and actually build his family to be stronger than ever before in light of this tragedy. And maybe for Joseph is as he's a slave is to be the best version of himself, to be obedient to God, to be an example to other people. That no matter what, where he finds himself, whatever venue, is to be the best and serve with the best. And maybe for the brothers, what they, what they could do now is maybe go look for the brother. Uh, you know, where is he? And also, come clean. Tell, tell their dad what it had actually had happened and what they did. And that was a question I asked myself as well. As those five weeks... 
as I went through that uh, and sort of that sort of comatose state, uh, I asked myself the question, what do I do now? And this is what I wrote down. Be who God made me to be. Be comfortable and confident in who Craig Case is, which, by the way, is kind of odd to refer to yourself in the third person, but um, be the best version of who I am. And be confident of of the talents and gifts that God has given me. Next, be faithful. Be faithful in the smallest things. So often we look for the large opportunities, but I'm reminded by the words of Jesus in, in Luke 16, 11. Uh, if you're not faithful in the small matters of life, how can you be faithful in the large ones? So I resolved myself to be faithful with whatever opportunity God brought along my way, and he did. Also, what, what do I do now? Change some of my tendencies to be impatient. Uh, slow down. Um, instead of trying to grow a church to be a certain kind of number, always leave the results to God. Always leave the results to God. I give my best, but I, always, I try to always leave the results to God. That was something that stuck with me. And then also, reach out and learn from gifted, godly mentors around me. And I have done that ever since then, the last 10 years calling up people, talking to businessmen, different leaders, and just kind of picking their brains and allowing God to use that to shape and develop my leadership better. Well, the third question I think we ought to ask about the story of Joseph is where is God in this whole ordeal? He's not mentioned once in the entire chapter, by the way. I don't know if you noticed that. The first 36 chapters of Genesis, God is everywhere. All of a sudden, 37, and then we make our way later in Genesis. He's not mentioned that much. It's kind of like he's behind the scenes. But we need to ask the question, where is God? Actually, a better question is, because God is present, why is God silent? Why was God silent in the midst of these unfortunate events? And it's a question that we ought to ask of our lives too, is that when we're in the midst of, of a challenging circumstance or deal, why is God silent? And you ought to ask him that. If you read the Psalms, it's everywhere. They're constantly asking God, God, where are you? In other words, why are you silent? Because God promises to never leave us, but why is he silent? Because he is at times. This is a topic that we've been talking about in our life hour, our adult education class um, that we meet at 9 o'clock. A couple weeks ago, we began with this great curriculum uh, talking about this question, why does God seem to be silent? And Jeremiah Johnston, um, who uh, teaches through this DVD with us, laid out some really good um, points for us when it, comes to, um, when it comes to what steps to take. Before I get to that, I want to mention, though, a great quote from Henry Blackaby when it comes to God's silence. He says this, Sometimes God is silent as he prepares us to bring you a deeper understanding of himself. Sometimes his silence is designed to bring me into a state of absolute dependence on and trust in God. And that was true for me. It caused me to depend on God more than ever before. It caused me to really improve my prayer life in a way that hadn't happened before. Whenever God is silent, continue doing the last thing God told you and watch and wait for a fresh encounter with him. Then God's silence happens. And Jesus, our Lord and Savior, understands that. 
in the most unfortunate event of his life, he's asking the question, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? In other words, my God, my God, why are you silent? I'm on the cross. So it's an important question for us to ask. So I want to list seven things, seven takeaways when God seems silent in your life, and I I really hope that this is something you can use. Number one, be an example. Be an example to others. We're going to see that in the life of Joseph, and I encourage you to come the next couple weeks as we continue the story of Joseph because we see him as an example. Number two, serve others with humility and passion. It's amazing when unfortunate events happen in our life and it's like our problems become big screen, you know, like 60-inch HD. That's all we see. But when we serve others, it gets our eyes off our problems and it causes us to serve others and it helps us in the midst of our challenges. Number three, do not compromise. Do not compromise your character. Do not compromise your values and morals. Number four, persevere. Persevere. Number five, lean into others. It's very important. When you're in the midst of unfortunate events, and you might think you're too busy, but you need to lean into others and allow others to pray for you and come alongside you. Number six, commit to finish strong. I remember sharing that quote from Ocean's 13 with a mentor of mine. Uh, I, when I move, I move fast, and I slice like a hammer, and he didn't laugh. Uh, he said, Craig, that's the wrong way to go. Uh, he goes, I know you don't mean that literally, but he said, uh, finish strong. He said, your church will remember more about you in your last six months than your first couple of years. And those words stayed with me. Finish strong. Then last, pray in love. And despite what Janiel and I and our family had felt and the ordeal we had gone through and our last Sunday that we had uh, with that congregation, we sought, we sought just to love all the way through. Because it never works to repay evil with evil, as the Bible says. It never works, because it keeps evil in circulation. And even though there was no resolution with this group that were gossiping and such, um, we sought to love them all the way because love wins. Love always wins. And the last Sunday that we were there, the last part of that service, me and Janiel and the kids served the Eucharist, that congregation, and several of those people came down and received the bread and juice. And we sought to love them all the way to the end. So I want to encourage you in your unfortunate events to pray and to love All right, let's move uh, just one verse and then I'm going to close here. In verse 36, we get a little foreshadowing of what happens for uh, Joseph. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an official of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was the captain of the palace guard. Joseph goes from nearly being killed to being stuck in a hole to be sold in slavery. He ends up in the palace. In many ways, I feel like Joseph. Ten years later, I feel like I'm in a palace. That I'm a part. I'm a lead pastor of a beautiful, wonderful community of people. And I can't thank God enough. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning. And God, we pray your blessing upon each person. And God, you know their unfortunate events that have occurred in their lives and the events that are happening in their life perhaps right now. 
And God, I pray that you heal them, that you walk alongside them. And perhaps they're in a time right now where you seem silent. Um, God, work in them to persevere, to take an extra step when they have nothing left. Holy Spirit, empower them. And God, help them to reach out to others. Maybe it's people in this church community that we can come alongside them and encourage them and be with them to know for them that they're not alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.